there's a Quaker by the name of Parker Palmer who is a rather prolific writer. And um, one of his books, Let Your Life Speak, he offers these words. Quote, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Now, Mr. Palmer describes that gift as our true self, that self that is uniquely and courageously you and I, this one that shows up in this world as our authentic, genuine self. But more than that, I believe what he is referring to is something much more larger and significant. And that is the stewardship of our whole lives, what I call whole life stewardship. Last week, Fred Sams, our finance clerk, did a great job of sharing basically the numbers part, the budget. But after he shared that, I began to reflect more on what is this concept of stewardship that encompasses more than just our wallets, but it encompasses our whole life, our energies, our souls, our relationships, even our conversations. As I said earlier on, we tend to compartmentalize life, and maybe I shouldn't say we, I tend to compartmentalize life. I will have my work life, and I will have my relationship life, and I will have uh, this play life, and I will have this other, and so I have all these compartments. And I think in many ways I can separate them out, but what I realize is that's not often the case, because one thing affects the other. If I am not physically well or physically energized, it's going to affect me spiritually, emotionally. If emotionally I'm going through a difficult time, it's going to affect me spiritually. If I have just had an argument or I've been into a real intense kind of conversation which is draining me, then that's going to affect me in other ways. Everything works together. So how are we stewards of that, of our whole life? So let me share with you three areas that got my attention over the last few years that led me to sort of explore this more. So the first was this. A few years ago, I was sitting over there in Precision Tune, uh, having my car serviced, and I think I've shared this with you a bit, but just to kind of reinforce it, I take our cars in every three to 5,000 miles. Every three to 5,000 miles. Every three to 5,000 miles. <laughs> so I'm sitting there, and they're servicing the car, and they're working on it, and they're doing their service change, and I had this aha moment. And I was pretty tired, I was kind of exhausted, I was kind of worn out. And this aha moment was when I realized that I was taking better care of my car than I did my own soul. When I was taking better care of my own car than I did my own life. I was running on fumes, I was trying to squeeze as much mileage out of my soul as I could without a break, or even take, taking time for the repairs of my heart and my soul. So I began to ask myself this question, what would it look like to pay attention to the maintenance of my whole life and the maintenance of my soul in the same way I paid attention to my car. And by the way, this is why we do the couple's tune-up once a month. I'm not making a pitch here. But I'll tell you why. The reason we do the couple's tune-up is I began to ask myself, what can we do, what can I do, so that by the time couples were coming to me, their marriages were in need of dire repair. It was almost like an engine overhaul. It was almost like needing a new engine. And oftentimes in our cars, our cars may get that way because of neglect. 
So I began to ask myself, what if we just had this group that we could meet on a regular basis and we're just going to do a tune-up? We're just going to do maintenance. And that way, maybe we can avoid some of the damage before we ever get to that point. That's why we do it. That's why I began to have this realization. Am I taking care of my soul the same way I take care of my car? I have these goals of having my cars run 150,000 or more. I almost got to 200,000. I want to be the next Hyundai commercial. I want to be a 200,000 mile guy. But more than that, I want my soul and my heart and my body to run as well and as holistically as it can because I've taken care of it. I had this friend, by the way, who I mentioned in this, this message on, on social media, Facebook, about, um, about what he was choosing to do. And I remember being in a conversation with a pastor not too long ago, and this person was really struggling. And I was with a group that was caring for this person because of the fact that they had really worn themselves down to the point where they had been to the doctor, they had high blood pressure, they were having physical issues. And I said, theologically, this may not even compute, but I said, I want you to know this. And I'm not trying to be facetious when I say this. I said, Jesus already died for the church. We don't need to kill ourselves for it. I says, Jesus already died for the church. We don't need to kill ourselves for it. Find ways, I said, to give your best self to the work that you're doing because we need your best self to this good work that you're doing. That's why soul maintenance and life maintenance is so important. The second was, a few years ago, I came across this thought by authors about energy and engagement. And let me just explain. It was a book about um, energy within our lives and how we renew that energy. And here's what they had to say. Um, Quote, energy, not time, is the fundamental currency of high performance. It's not the intensity of energy and expenditure that produces burnout, impaired performance, and physical breakdown, but rather the duration of expenditure without recovery. Now, if you didn't hear anything in that quote, hear that last line. The expenditure, the duration of expenditure without recovery. Again, what I heard in that quote and that thought was you cannot go 100 miles an hour, you cannot go 24-7, you cannot go 52 weeks a year, 365 days a week without having some sense of recovery in your life. Without managing your life to the point where you have self-care, without taking time to rest. And then they went on to write this. Leaders are stewards of organizational energy. In companies, organizations, and even families, they inspire or demoralize others first by how effectively they manage their own energy, and next by how well they mobilize, focus, invest, and renew the collective energy of those they lead. Now again, if you heard nothing in that quote, please hear this. Leaders are stewards of organizational energy. That's why I try to pay attention to a couple things about how I lead and how I manage myself. Because I've heard the phrase, Speed of the leader, speed of the team. Well, that is true to some degree. But if the leader is going just way out of balance, then sometimes you're going to find an organization that's going way out of balance. And I try to be mindful of how often we are managing our activities and events here. Because in some ways, if we're not careful, we may go back to back to back. And pretty soon, by the end of three or four weeks, we're all what? Tired and worn out. And if we're tired and worn out by our activities, then oftentimes we don't have the energy to give witness to God's kingdom 
that we're invited to do in a way that offers love and compassion and caring. Now, that was a lot more than I wanted to offer on that little part. But that's how important this is to me, that we find time to rest as individuals and find time to rest as organizations. I remember years ago reading about a church in California that um, took one whole month, and they just basically took a Sabbath and said for one whole month, I think they took July, is so we're not going to have any meetings, we're not going to have any events, we're not going to have any activities. We want this to be a month of Sabbath. Enjoy the month, get together with each other, rebuild relationships, repair your heart, repair your soul, repair your relationships, but we're not going to do anything work-related. We're simply going to let things rest. The third thing I began to realize was this. Jesus talked an awful lot about rest. I began to notice where Jesus would take time by himself simply to go off and pray. I began to pay attention to the moments where Jesus joined with folks in meals and began to wonder if maybe it was as much for his own recovery as it was to give witness as it was to share the kingdom. Sometimes I think Jesus got together to eat and enjoy the meal because Jesus needed to get together with people and eat and enjoy a meal and just be with those folks. I began to pay attention to texts like the one we had today. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught, and many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. Now think about how hard you have to be going to realize that there is no time to eat. And Jesus realizes that, and he recognizes that, and he says, this is not good. So he says to the disciples, listen, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. I am as much at fault as saying, I want to live in the way of Jesus. I want to do what Jesus tells me. But what I often realize is all of that is often in the form of doing. I'm going to do, 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 do. If Jesus told his disciples to rest for a while, maybe every once in a while Jesus is saying to Scott, listen, it's not good to skip a meal. It's not good to skip some downtime. Why don't you just rest for a while? That's why I was telling my friend this morning, listen, Think about this. Just think about this. Maybe this is God inviting you to take a break. In our spiritual journey, we hear a lot of invitations from Jesus to take action, to follow a disciple, to give witness to the kingdom. But how often do we take seriously Jesus' invitation to rest? And maybe rest could be as much a part of our discipleship as anything else that we do. The other day, as these thoughts began to bubble up in my soul, and my mind, I posted this quick reflection. Jesus said to his apostles, come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. Jesus is not anti-rest. Healthy spirituality, discipleship, discipleship is not anti-rest. Exhaustion is not a fruit of the Spirit. Give yourself permission to rest and replenish. Now, what does this look like? Well, this is, this is where we'll shift for a few moments. Just a couple things. This. Rest, I want to suggest, is taking the time to recharge ourselves emotionally and replenishing our souls. I think often our emotional tanks run low when we're running on fumes. I wish my soul had a dashboard and I could have tanks and could tell me when I'm full and when I'm empty, but it doesn't. So what I have to do is I have to look for the signs that tell me when my emotional tanks are full and when my emotional tanks are empty. And like I think all cars are unique, we're unique. I know my emotional tank is close to empty or it's going down when I'm irritable, when I'm easily annoyed, when I'm not being able to be present with people 
And in a weird kind of way, I get faster and I start speeding up more and more and more and doing and doing. You know, it's like the little kid that you have when you know they're tired, what do they do? They just go harder and harder and harder. It's like they can outrun sleep. It's like they can outrun the nap. Sometimes when I'm so tired, I realize I'm just going faster and faster and faster. So when our emotional tanks are low, when we're running on fumes, rest is taking the time to replenish those. There is such a thing, by the way, as compassion fatigue. When we are offering presence to others, when we feel fatigued, we tend to just power through it rather than rest and recharge. If you are a caregiver, if you are someone who works in a field of offering compassion, if you are just a compassionate person, you will find at times that you do get fatigued. And there is no shame in taking a step back and just saying, I need to recharge if I'm going to be able to be with this person. I'm struck by the moment in our scripture today where after Jesus and his disciples have rested, he's faced with the crowds, just right after he and the disciples rest. And it says that Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I really believe that the gospel writers are trying to show us the connection between resting and then moving right back out into life again and being able to have compassion. I think Jesus was able to have compassion with people around him because of the fact that he was able to take time to rest. A pastor and author, Rick Warren, um, offers these encouraging words, quote, people who are available all the time aren't really available unless they set aside time to rest. They figure out what activities recreate energy in your life and recharge you. Each one of us has different things that recharge us because we're all made differently. It may be hobbies. It may be a sport. It may be a craft or games for you. Find out what recharges you emotionally and then make time for it. Confession. You may not know this, or maybe you do. I really do like classical music. I really, really do. I'll listen to it at home. I'll listen to it in the car. It recharges me. The other day, I called Linda on the phone, or I texted her. I was really, really excited, and I caught her right in the busy, right at the moment of her day, but I was excited. I had just bought two $20 tickets to go hear the Greensboro Symphony Orchestra at the New Tanger Center. Uh, I forget when. I just bought the tickets. And I was excited because I was going to get to hear symphony music. I also was excited because it was Ode to Joy, and I know that because I used to play that in piano recitals all the time. I thought, I know this song. But I was so excited because I looked forward to an evening where all I could do was sit back for two hours and listen to, listen to classical music by a symphony in a beautiful space and 20 bucks a ticket. That's what recharges me. What recharges you? What replenishes your soul? The second thing is this. I think rest takes the form of taking a break from those things that possibly might be draining us or stealing energy from us. This is where we might do our own personal, what I call, energy audit. An audit's when you do an inspection or of an individual or, or an organization on their account. So to do a personal energy audit is to take time to reflect and examine our lives Ask, what drains me? What no longer gives me energy? What do I need to take a break from? For example, could be a relationship. Could be a relationship, not one you're necessarily committed to, but one that you find is draining, maybe even toxic, maybe even not good for your soul. Sometimes we need a break from those kind of relationships. It could be social media. It could be serving on a committee or being involved in a particular ministry, being involved on in a particular board. It could be taking a break from the 24-7 news cycle, whatever it is. 
sometimes, as the phrase says, we need to give it a rest. And we need to take a break from those things that are draining us and our souls and our hearts. I don't know if you've ever heard of FOMO, F-O-M-O. Most of you know what that is. This is a very generational thing. I'm not trying to show how hip I am, but I learned this not too long ago. When we have FOMO, capital F, capital O, capital M, capital O, it is the fear of missing out. That is why we are so constantly trying to connect, 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 because we're afraid if we don't, we're going to miss out on something. So we'll turn on the news, we'll, we'll read about this, we'll connect with this, we'll get on social media, because I'm going to miss something. And I will tell you this right now, if you are into the fear of missing out, you have plenty out there to alleviate your fear. The question is this, what is it doing to your soul? What is it doing to your heart? What's it doing to your overall condition? And then finally, I would just say this added to that. Sometimes we find we need to balance our justice work and activism with times of rest and replenishing. Activism for important issues and causes is good. You know, early friends were very, very involved in, in justice work and, 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 and activist work. Uh, they were the ones that started the first mental hospitals, mental health hospitals. They were the ones that started some of the first schools. They were the ones that were very significant in um, the abolition movement, all of that. They were very active in justice work. But let us not forget that the power of early friends came from those places where they sat in the silence and they had their souls nourished. They had their hearts nourished. They allowed themselves to be filled up first, if you will, before they went out into the world and began to speak truth to power and challenge those things that they knew were wrong. In your bulletin, there's a quote. I want you to take a look at it. It's by Thomas Merton. It's a very, very important one, and I think it's one that I hope you'll maybe process more and more. It's on the side that says Thoughts for Reflections. Thomas Merton was uh, a monk, if you will, years ago in the 60s, was very active in, not, in, in the work of nonviolence. But listen to what he says. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs activism, and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone and everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of our activism neutralizes our work for peace. It destroys our own inner capacity for peace. It destroys the fruitfulness of our own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom, which makes work fruitful. Now, I'll let you unpack that, but there's a lot there to pay attention to because basically what Thomas Burton is saying is a person can be active and working for nonviolence and at the same time doing violence to their soul because they simply do not take time to rest and recharge, and refill. Wayne Mueller is an author, and I'll close with this, who wrote a book a few years ago on understanding Sabbath rest. Today is a Sabbath. For other, day, for other people, it may be another day, quite honestly, because some people work on Sundays. Basically, the Bible says, don't matter if it's Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday. We're given six days to be fruitful and multiply and work, but we're asked to take one day to rest and recharge and recuperate. So Wayne Mueller says we really, really need to 
embrace again this whole idea of Sabbath rest. And he says, you know, we're totally against breaking all the other commandments. He says, but do you ever realize how we don't often pay attention to the one about keeping Sabbath in our life, keeping that day of rest? And then he writes this, and we'll close with this. Because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort. We never truly rest. And then he adds this, for want of rest, our lives are in danger. Now maybe your life isn't in danger. But maybe the warning lights are going off. Maybe the check soul light <laughs> is going off. Maybe you're starting to hear a little bit of the dings and the places in you that said, I need to repair my soul. I don't know what that looks like for you. But what I do know is that our bodies, our hearts, and our souls, and our minds cannot go endlessly without taking time to care for them. And that's not, that's not being selfish. That's being a good steward of what God has given us and the gift that God has given us, which is ourselves.